Right, so the good news is today we finished the book of Colossians. Today's the day. So, so last year, um, we started teaching through Colossians and um, did a lot of the, the first two chapters are full of a rich theology of the book of Colossians where Paul spends a lot of time developing the, the supremacy of Christ and the lordship of Christ and saying, don't get caught up with human tradition. Don't allow philosophies of the world to sneak in and erode what you believe because Christ is everything. And then this year, we've looked at the practical outworking of that theology. And today we get to finish chapter 4. So we're going to be looking at <clears throat> excuse me, three things. Because he starts off by talking about prayer. Prayer, then our witness, just a couple of verses on that. And then we're going to look at the relational connections that God has for us in his beautiful family the body of Christ and the power of those relational connections when you are connected to the body of Christ God has opened up to you a rich rich diverse network of people whom God puts across your path to help you do what he has called you to do and and not just survive life but be an overcomer so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4, starts off with this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's just stop there. Continue steadfastly in prayer. In other words, he's saying, don't quit on the powerful practice of prayer. Don't give up. Don't let it ebb and flow. Continue steadfastly because there's something in it. There's some power in it that you don't always understand, but it's there. In fact, prayer is like a barometer that actually shows us how reliant we really are on God. Because if you don't have to pray much, it means you've got it covered. But when you pray a lot, it means I need a bit of outside help, God. Yeah. I need a bit of divine intervention. I need a bit of your wisdom and your knowledge, Jesus, about this. So prayer is like a barometer of how reliant we really are on God. He says, and be watchful when you pray. In other words, be alert. Be alert of what's going on in your life. Be alert of what's going on inside you. Be alert of what's going on in the lives of those around you. Be alert of your country and the state of your city and pray watchfully so you can pray into all those things. Don't just expect things to come right. We need God to help, it, to help us. And then he says, and pray also for a door of opportunity for us that we can preach the word, the gospel of Christ. We ought to be praying for one another because all of us in the church are ministers of the gospel. We all get to carry the gospel. I've just got a little part of a job to do to teach people and to equip them so that they know they can also do it. But we're all ministers of the gospel. But pray for one another that God opens to us all doors of opportunity with people so they can encounter the love of God in Christ. Pray for those things. They don't just happen automatically. Because there is a devil and there's a world hostile to God. But when you pray, the Spirit of God gets active and doors start to open up. So Paul says to this church, pray guys, 
don't quit on the power of prayer. Just a few points about it. Prayer is our vital connection with God. Vital connection with God. You know what? It's mystical. Prayer is mystical. Prayer is mysterious. And it's transcendent. It's not earthly. It's not natural. It's not carnal. It's transcendent. And I say it's mysterious. And I say it's mystical. Because if you said to me, Greg, and I mean, I was a science teacher. I, I love that this and that means this. I'm very logical. But if you said to me, Greg, explain to me how prayer works. I haven't got a clue. I can't draw a flow chart. I, I, I can't say this. That. All I know is it's mysterious and mystical and transcendent because it is my spirit connecting with God and inviting his divine activity into my world. And it's powerful. And Paul says, guys, it's powerful. Don't quit on the practice of prayer. It's good to be reminded how often Jesus prayed. Jesus. You know the one we sang about earlier? This powerful king. He took hours to go and pray with his father. Here he is, the radiance of the glory of God. The exact representation of his being. Goes and takes hours alone in a quiet place to pray. This mysterious, mystical, transcendent experience that I believe somehow opened up to him all of the power of heaven to do what God had called him to do. If Jesus didn't pray, I wonder what would have happened. Listen to this scripture. Amazing scripture this. Hebrews 5 verse 7 to 9. In the days of his flesh, that's when Jesus was alive, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He was a man like us with loud cries and tears, sometimes feeling desperate. He offered these prayers to him, to God, who was able to save him from death, to the God who was able to resurrect him from the grave. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because he truly knew who his God was. And he humbly submitted his heart to him in prayer. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect. How do you think he got through all that suffering? How do you think he was made perfect? Through the times he spent praying with his spirit communing with God, this powerful, mysterious, transcendent experience that enables you and I to do what God has called us to do. We are not supposed to cruise through life on the coattails of our own ability, but overcome challenges, sufferings, and hardship through prayer. Jesus taught us that. If our prayer life is weak, if our prayer life is sporadic or erratic or fueled by crisis or tradition as opposed to intimate knowing, maybe we are ignoring God's rich friendship that he offers to us in prayer. 
You know, our working lives, our leisure lives, our physical health is all radically affected by us when we pray. Do you know that feeling that you get, uh, uh, well, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but anyway. You know, you know when you sit with that very special person in your life and you sit and have a good cup of coffee or tea with them and you just hang with them? That's what prayer is like. It's when you just, you're with God. You shut the world out. Jesus said when you pray, don't go and stand on the street corner, just get into a quiet place, just you and him, and let your spirit commune with God. It's that place of intimacy. And I don't know how it works, but I can tell you this when I pray, that, that though it's my spirit who prays, my soul is always enriched when I pray. My humanity my human beingness is enriched through the power of prayer. All right, I think I should move on. Because I don't want to teach on prayer for the whole thing. Yeah, let me end with this. Whilst I may be too busy, someone once said this. Sometimes you feel like you're too busy to pray. Like, you, like there's so many things to do. I haven't got time to pray. Somebody said, I'm so busy that I have to pray. I have to pray. If I'm going to get through what I've got to do, I have to pray. Prayer is like, in fact, prayer reminds me of that story of two men who were tasked with cutting down this huge tree. And the first guy, understanding that there was a restriction on the time, he grabbed his axe and he just started to chop, 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 chop. And the other guy sat down and for one hour he just sharpened his axe all the other guy was chop 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 guess who finished first prayer is like sharpening the axe it's taking a time to sit down or walk whatever 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 you're going to do it there's no prescribed way to do it but with this communes with god in spirit and invites god's activity into your life Secondly, always ready to witness. He says in Colossians 4, verse 5 to 6, walk in wisdom towards the outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I once heard somebody say, your words shouldn't be salty, towards people but your speech should be tasteful in a way that is alluring and intriguing and transcendent you see we we call to tell the stories of heaven stories of God stories of God that he's done in our life like Jordash those stories are here you you start to tell stories of the gospel changing lives people are intrigued by that they go how do you know that how, how does it work you say it's God what do you mean it's God? Well, God is, it's, it's hard to know God, but God showed us what he's like in Jesus. And then you start to pick up on what Jesus is like and you start telling people. But, but he's saying, be aware. Don't, don't have a tunnel vision. Don't walk around with a tunnel vision. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Be aware of people around you. And have the wisdom of God to engage with them. Look for the opportunities to engage with them. Don't just be self-absorbed. 
That's what he's saying to them. Think about the gospel and its reach into the world around you. Awareness of those around you, not tunnel vision. Secondly, gracious conversations with the unchurched. We're not called to judge people. We're not, you know, if somebody, like if you're sitting there with somebody and they're smoking, you say, you shouldn't smoke. Well, hang, it's a huge health hazard, first of all, so you could say that. But don't say, Jesus doesn't like you smoking. It's like, give it a break. You're not called to be a judge. You're called to tell stories of the life of God. It's God who's the one who convicts. It's the Spirit of God who does that. But let, let our speech be gracious towards outsiders and tell God's stories whenever you get a chance. And, and, and be prepared to talk about the gospel. That's the good news of God in Christ. That's what we're called to talk about. That's what Paul went about preaching. He wasn't trying to preach all other stuff, just the gospel good news of God. That's what really counts. And then the last part of the message where I want to spend the last amount of time on. Oh yeah, let me say this first. Always remember this. On a, on a Sunday when we gather or in, in, or in a midweek meeting, we are gathered family. Family of God, we gather together we, we feast, we worship, we celebrate. But the moment we walk out of these doors, we are scattered servants. We are the servants of King Jesus who get scattered into the world. Scattered into marketplace, business, boardrooms, education, politics, buying and selling, whatever it is. You get scattered into there with the seed of the gospel of Christ inside of us. We scattered servants all day, every day. And then I want to close with this. When I say close, I spend the next at least 10 minutes on this. The extreme power of God's relational network called the body of Christ. This always gets me excited, friends, too. I love the body of Christ, the diversity of the body. Thank the Lord Jesus that there are not a couple of hundred Gregs in this church. Amen. It's the absolute truth. Look around you. Look at the diversity. Look at the, the different giftings and, and personalities and everything. And there's this body of Christ, this family of God, not just here, around the world. There's this huge, massive, integrated, networked family of God, sons and daughters, beloved of the Father, whom God is so so proud of whom God loves who says you are my beloved and we are connected to each other by the Spirit of God we are connected that's a fact we ourselves personally may not be as connected as God wants us to be because we prefer to stand here and let other people connect and then all we're doing is missing out on the powerful interconnectivity that God designed for us to enjoy to do life on planet earth you were never called to live life on your own just with your family and a few friends you were called to have a network that reaches around the globe because there are times I know this if if something like if I'm traveling in America and something happens there, or if I'm traveling in India and something happens there I know that if I'm in trouble there are people on the ground, family of God, who will assist me. I know that. I'm connected to the body of Christ. And I, and I know many of you here are connected to that body. 
And you don't ever feel like you're alone, no matter where you are, because of this great, great body of Christ. And it's a magnificent body. We, we just shouldn't be, you know, I don't want to be judgmental of the church. It's, it's Christ's bride. It's his body. We all know we're not perfect. We all know there's no perfect church. But gosh, look at each other. You're amazing. We're amazing. With all our flaws and our failures and our weaknesses, we're still amazing because of Christ who has made us amazing. And the blood of Christ which has connected us into a family. So Colossians 4 verse 7 to 9. Tychicus, here's a name for your next child, <laughs> will tell you all about my activities. Like he's writing a letter and he's saying, hey, I want you to know everything that's going on in my life. I just, it's a relational. It's, hey, we connected. He's going to tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. Wow, what's the purpose? That you may know how we are. <laughs> and that he may encourage your hearts. That's it. That's the purpose. I just want him to come and be a blessing to you. And I want you to know how we are. It's just relational. Just connection. Because we are connected. And then he says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, Who's one of you? So he was actually from Coloss, who came away to Paul, who we think was in Ephesus when he wrote this in prison, and now he's going back to them. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. It's not they're going to bring back the Holy Scroll that was hidden in the depths. No, they're just going to come and tell you how we are. Because I want you to know. Because we connected. You're not alone, church in Coloss. We, here in Ephesus, are with you. And I want you to know that we are not alone. You are with us. And I want us to maintain this relational interconnection. These relational connections are important to Paul. Because he knows that when we are mutually in touch with each other when we know what's going on in each other's lives we can be of greater benefit to one another i know what to pray you know what to pray oh you need that i know somebody who can help you with that i'm going to put you in touch with onesimus well i'm going to put you in touch with shane because this connectivity is to help us do life more richly more successfully better than we can do if we're not connected then he carries on. Because from here on out until the end of the letter, he mentions people personally. He just goes through, and I want to, and I want to mention this. Here are some examples. Epaphras, who struggles for you all in his prayers. Here's a guy in another place who is wrestling for them in Coloss because he carries a heart for them. He's connected to them. He struggles with you in his prayers that you should be mature and fully assured of the will of God in your lives. And by the way, Luke, the beloved physician, Luke, the doctor, the beloved doctor, he sends his greetings too. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're in his thoughts. And also Demas, he greets you as well. And so you're going like, oh wow, I remember Demas. 
Yes, it, he's thinking of us. That's amazing. And it buoys you up because sometimes you can feel so alone facing what you're facing. And God doesn't want any in his church to feel alone. Last night, we were sitting with, a, with some beautiful friends of ours and um, we were chatting and they were talking about a, a struggle that they are going through. And, and while we're sitting there talking, Susan just says, hey, Greg, I think you should put them in contact with so-and-so who lives up in that area nearby them. And as, as she said that, I just knew it was God. And as we got in the car afterwards, oh, so there and then at the table, I take out my phone and I, and I voice note this other mate who's a Christian in this area and I text and I put, sorry, I send the contact number of this other guy to this guy we're meeting with and suddenly there's a little bit of a network that's gonna happen. I get a voice note back or I get a text message back from the guy I messaged last night who was asleep when I sent him the message this morning saying, excellent, I look forward to it, I've got time and I just know it was the Holy Spirit because people are not meant to feel alone, struggling through things. There's this network, this body of Christ and our relationships help facilitate the connections that God has intended for us to be enriched by. So now, in Acts chapter 1, there's a scripture where it says that Jesus tells his disciples, while they, while they were having a meal together, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift, the promise of the Father. And so while all the other disciples are waiting in Jerusalem, on the very day that Jesus They've, they've gone to look for his body and he's not in the tomb. He's gone. And suddenly there's shockwaves around all the disciples like, where's the master? Where's the king? He, he was supposed to be there and they've forgotten that he said he was going to rise again in three days because they're a bit doff like we are. And, and so it's like there's, there's a bit of panic that sets in and there's rumblings and they all go and they gather together in the home. But they're two brothers. They decide, we're leaving Jerusalem. Jesus is gone. We don't know what's going on. And they begin a long walk in one direction away from where they're supposed to be. And these two brothers walk on the road to Emmaus. And they walk and they walk. And the further they leave Jerusalem, the more isolated they're becoming. The further they walk away, the less connected they are to the people they need in order to receive the promise of the Father. But they just keep walking. And, and, but Jesus is amazing. The, re, the resurrected one. He always goes to look for the ones who are on their own. And he goes and he finds them. And as he walks, as they're walking, he's walking next to them and he talks to them about, well, they say, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard what's going on? And he says, what? He says, Jesus. Can you, he's speaking to Jesus about Jesus. Because he's resurrected. They can't quite recognize him, but he's there. And then, and then he explains the scriptures to them and he explains what was going to happen, that he would die, that the Christ would be risen again. And, and then they say to him, hey, come into our house in this faraway place away from Jerusalem. And he goes, and they go into the house and they have a meal. They say, stay with us. He says, okay, I'll stay with you. And, and they have a meal. And as the meal comes out, Jesus gives thanks for the meal. And in that moment, their eyes are opened. And they go, Jesus. You know what they do? You know what those two oaks do? Immediately, they turn around. It's late at night. They were supposed to spend the night in this place. Immediately, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. 
because that's where they're supposed to be. Jesus finds them while they're walking away. He doesn't tell them to go back to, to Jerusalem, but his presence and what he does reawakens them to the fact that he said, go and wait in Jerusalem. And straight away they go back. Because in Jerusalem, that's where the network of the body of Christ is to get you through these bitter dark days when the Christ is no longer with you and all you've ever known for the last three years is the Christ walking amongst you. I cannot tell you how many times in our lives the body of Christ God has used to richly change situations. I, I, I could keep you here for probably 20 minutes talking about those things. I want to highlight just one or two. Here's one. When our daughter needed braces, she's a beautiful girl, but she had teeth like I had when I was young. I also needed braces. And it was like, God, we, it was so cool if we, she could get braces. And a brother from another place, a brother in the body of Christ, connects with us. And he just says, he says, how's your daughter? So we talk, we talk, talk. He says, I want to put braces on her. I want to pay. He paid. That's a lot of money. When Luke went through his disease, this body in this church and around the world were praying for him when he was a young boy going through that disease. God heard our prayers. But here's the cool thing. As, on top of it all, when, when he had to repeat grade two, he had to go into a class and he had to have a special, like, a, a like an assistant, like he had to have a mentor to help him understand everything that was going on in the class because of this disease and he'd forgotten and he didn't understand and had lost his ability to speak and everything. So now he's in the class and you need a mentor. Another believer from another place says, we want to pay for that mentor. Because now we're paying normal school fees, now you've got to pay for a mentor all day, every day in the class with him. Suddenly somebody says, we want to pay for that. We didn't ask for it, it just happened. The great thing about this mentor, I have to tell you this, is she is this, she's a believer from another church in our area. She is a gorgeous blonde. So instead of everybody teasing Luke that he's, he needs a special assistant, he was the envy of the class. He was the hero. <clears throat> the body of Christ's connectivity is, is there to enrich and help us all get through whatever we face. The question is, how connected are you? Because your connection is, has an influence on sowing and reaping. Because some people, they say, I've got no friends. But they don't ever try and make friends. They don't press through. I, I tried once, we had coffee, and they didn't invite me again, so I'm leaving them. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage you friends don't don't be those two disciples who walked away from Jerusalem who walked away from the rich diverse relationships that God puts in place to help us get through difficult things a quick one renovating our home we, we had a December January to renovate our home we didn't know COVID and lockdown was coming at the end of February. We had December, January, we had to move in in February and we had to get it finished. God knew we needed to finish by March. Who gets builders to work over December, January and finish a home? 
but a brother in this church, Mark, helped us. And I thank God for that connection. Because without him and without that, I don't know where we'd be. It's this rich, diverse relationship thing that helps us get through stuff when we're not sure. Just this week, one of our leaders was telling me, they met a guy from another church in a, in a business meeting, and suddenly out of this, this guy says he wants to help here, and suddenly just things started to fall in place. There's a network of these incredible relationships in the body of Christ. Don't leave Jerusalem. And of course, the biggest one, and I want to end with this example, is we heard about it was Jaden's car. We buy this car from this guy who's been amazing in the years before, and this car salesman disappears off the planet. Can't get hold of him. No registration papers, no logbook, no licensing, no invoice, nothing. Can't find, don't know where to turn. Try for months, don't know where to turn. Holy Spirit says, contact these two people to me. I contact these two people. I found this out afterwards when I was chatting with Rory. So Rory Dyer was one of those guys. He says, like I said to him, help me. Do you know anybody in We Buy Cars? He says, I know the CEO. That's the rich, diverse relationships. I see him at a wedding after this. I say, hey, Raw, this is a story. I tell him the story of everything. I mean, I told him, obviously, which he shared in church, but I tell him all the details. He says to me, Greg, do you know what? He says, the week that you contacted me, was the week that I met the CEO of We Buy Cars. In other words, one week earlier, I wouldn't have had a contact. But God knows. God is invested in your life. God cares for your life. But it's through the body of Christ, this rich network of relationships, that he chooses to facilitate best so that we are brothers and sisters who help each other. That's the way of God. Okay, I'm closing. Okay, let me close. So friends, I just encourage you. Names are important. What's going on in people's lives are important. I just, I've sent them to you so that you can know what's going on in my life. Because when I know what's going on in your life, I can pray and I can be there to help or I can say, hey, you need to get a hold of this person. And that's how God wants us to operate. So don't walk away from Jerusalem. Let's stand.